0: Man, you guys may be seated in the house. We got to get after it very quickly today, uh, cause I got a lot of content. That's why you were standing outside for a little bit before you can come in. But we're getting into it here today. Got a lot of content. Um, strap up, buckle up, Buttercup, as I like to say inside of here. Lean in if you are if you are prone to fall asleep. Okay, you sit on a recliner and you're like, oh Lord. Lean forward in your seat. Okay, do not lean back. Lean forward. Take some notes. We're going to dive into this here today. It's going to be a good conversation. But I'll tell you, no better place to be on a Sunday than in the house of the Lord, a Sabbath day. Amen. Sabbath, a day of rest, okay? A day where you, you walk away from all your toil and your labor and all the things that you do to build life and everything else in between. You slow down and you have a day set apart for God. And it's a beautiful day because you can look back on all what God has done and say, praise God. But also you can be in a place here today say, God, fill me up. For all that you're calling me to do, I gotta be full for tomorrow because I I got some things I need to get done. So, we wanna be full for the work that God has laid out for us inside of our future. Now, here's the deal. You may be new, you may be visiting. Good to have you. Welcome to church. Good to see you. Um, If you are visiting, man, maybe God's got a plan for you uh, to be a part of this church. Uh, He's definitely got a plan for you. I I said that, I was like, wait, I gotta throw that out there. Maybe maybe He's called you to be a part of this church. And that's the case, man. We'd love for you to come along for the journey. We're trying to help change the spiritual climate of this city. We want to see unchurched people or people far from God, de church, whatever it may be, come to know Jesus Christ. And with that, we don't have uh, ownership or we don't have um, membership here. We got ownership is the best way to say it. And so with that, we got a responsibility. That responsibility is this. We got to pray for the house. We got to invite people. We got to serve. We got to give. And more importantly than all of that, we got to live it, right? We can punch Christian cards on Sunday, but man, are we equipped and empowered and convicted to live a life of selflessness according to the principles of Jesus Christ laid out in his word on Monday. Because here's the deal, God's got a plan for us, and it's a plan to restore all of this world unto himself. Once we come to know Jesus Christ, we're restored, and now we are part of a kingdom advocating for the kingdom, amen? So we'd love for you guys to come along for the journey. Now, if this is not your church, all good in the hood. Uh, get to the church. God has called you as quickly as possible because you're wasting time if not. All right, so you gotta get there quickly. But we are uh, in this series that we've been having, and it's kind of like a collection of talks over a long period of time. I think we're on week number five, something like that. But we've uh, the God questions. We it was originally started on like Easter, and we said send in questions, and then we've had Mother's Day and Father's Day in between there. So we're kind of we're probably seven weeks out. That's why we're on week five, but we've had two week of those off weeks. But with that, we have the God questions. The God question: first one of our weeks, like, who is God? What is God? What is the Trinity? What is purpose? All that stuff. Second week's book was is about, um, we we're talking about marriage and the dynamics of marriage and, and God's, God's instruction on it and how it should look. But then we jumped into the question that came up on, can I get a divorce? And we had that conversation. And then the week after that, we talked about purity and what does it look like? Or right, had Mother's Day. And then we talked about purity and what does that look like? And, And for us to be pure inside of our our lives, that there's an expectation God has. And and the motive of our heart is that we want to honor God and his his expectations and how it's laid out inside of God's word because that's our heart. We want to honor our creator. And so we adjust life and we we press into our flesh and we deny it and we, we walk by the spirit and we live a life of holiness set apart, as I said earlier. And so we talked about purity and that's the intention of all of our hearts and guarding our hearts above all else because out of it flows the issues of our lives. And this week, uh, you know, there's questions that came in around scripture. Is it reliable? Can we trust it? How, how does it come together? What's the composition of it? Like, how does this work? Because there's a there's scripture that we have in our hands that is easily accessible. You can go online right now and you can download the, the Bible app and you can have the word of God in your hands that empowers you with the truth of our creator for you to live according to his expectations. Like, you could do that right now. Now, 2,000 years ago, that may not have been something you could do. Uh, 1,000 years ago, that wasn't something you could do. 500 years ago, it was something that you couldn't do. But there's accessibility to God's word today that we have, that if we can tune into it, then man, we can, be, we can be empowered by it. We can be strengthened by it. And it's not by chance that it showed up that we have this accessibility. It's come by uh, a lot of sacrifice. Blood, literally blood, sweat, and tears have gone into this. And so I want to talk about this today, kind of the composition, the comp- the, the how, how the word has come together. What was, what was the vetting process? Like, why, you know? And uh, it may be a little more academic today as far as information. So that's why I'm saying lean into it. It's not necessarily my style because I like to preach it, you know what I mean? But... Um, we, we got to have clarity on the information so that we can, we can stand firm upon the authority and live in confidence of what it is. And so today when we talk about God's word, um, uh, it's powerful, man. We'll, we'll talk about that at the end on like what it is and what it does. But it, you know, we have access to it. Now, we have access to all types of information. You can jump on Google right now and see a whole lot of stuff that may not be true, right? There's a lot of stuff out there. You, you go seeking and searching for something, you may find some things that sound like a truth, but since you, are, you lack the information on what the Bible, the biblical truth is, you can sway in directions of whatever truth, right? Chakras and all this other stuff, putting rocks on your body or whatever it may be. And it's, that's not biblical. You're not aligning yourself with what? Who? What? I mean, what demonic force are you aligning yourself with? Because the Bible doesn't talk about it, right? Yeah. But you can, you can find yourself in a space where you start leaning into truths that are human ideas and not biblical. Because we're ignorant of the reality of what God's Word says, and so we you can you can find truth anywhere and everywhere. But what we want to do is come to a place of God has the authoritative word that is instructing us on how we should live. And this authoritative word is, it's the authority that now can dictate our living, right, our morality, our, our decision making, how we live our lives. It's the authority, and so. We're going to jump into it here today. How many of you ever been in a place in your life where you, you didn't have instruction on how you should do something? Like you didn't have the instructions to build the Ikea furniture, and the furniture came out looking a little crazy, right? <laughs> Anybody never had the ingredients for how to make the recipe, and the, the recipe came out a little funky. Pastor Brian one time was at our house, and Heather was making the sopia cheesecake, and uh, she, she grabbed the wrong ingredient that came out with the wrong outcome. Now, Brian didn't know that uh, Heather made this sopapilla cheesecake with a layer of garlic, garlic croissants and not butter croissant. <laughs> so since he didn't know, it was the best dessert he's ever had in his life <laughs> until we tried. He's the first one to get it because he's never had it. He's like, oh man, this is so good. We, we started eating and we're like, why does it kind of taste like spaghetti and a dessert? Like, <laughs> he's like, oh, it's amazing. He was like done with it already. And it's pretty interesting that you know, uh, when, when you lack that the, the information, sometimes what comes together may not necessarily be the intent of the outcome. And so this is the composition, how God has brought it together. There is a process, because there has been a lot of documents that are out there, and there's arguments out there on like, why isn't this put in, and why was this left out, and blah, 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 and there's a lot of arguments, and I want to give clarity to that, okay? So it's gonna be, we're going to get into it. Go with me, because I got 28 minutes. I had 32, and I went 10 minutes over last service, so we got to go, Okay. So buckle up, buttercup, as I said just a minute ago. Okay, so when, uh, when you look at the Bible, it is the book of all books. Here's a few of the facts about the Bible. The Bible is 66 books. There's 773,692 words inside of the Bible. If you were to read it, it's going to take you roughly, I think, somewhere around 70 hours. If you read it from front to back, nonstop, it's somewhere in that realm. There's been 48 authors written over 1,800 years. God inspired to these individuals to articulate his heart for humanity, okay? There's 2 billion copies of the Bible that have been sold with an annual sales of 100 million copies per year. It is the most popular book upon the face of the earth, bar bar none, by millions and millions, hundreds of millions of copies, okay? It is a, it's legit, right? So when we stand firm upon our faith, we're like, yeah, how well is your book? Selling, right? <laughs> Not very well, huh? Okay, good. Uh, but it's it, it's it's giving life, it's giving liberty, it's empowering people with the understanding of who God is and His intent behind our lives. So, kind of the story, uh, the the formation of it goes a little like this: you get uh, you get Adam and Eve and life and generations that flow out of there, and there's living. God, God's you know creation is happening, and things are things are happening. Um, but it isn't until a moment in time when they say, "Okay, cool, we got to start writing some stuff down," like because oral tradition was the natural way that, you know, information was passed down. Yeah. I mean, today, if you just, if I asked you today, who is your great-great grandfather? Would you be able to tell me his name? Some of you guys are like, "Yeah, okay." So, t- if you could tell me your great-great-great grandfather, could you tell me his name? Probably not. Why is that? There's a lack of oral tradition in our society today because it's like, go look it up, Google, you know, Barbara. You know, go look it up. You won't find out whoever's in your history. Go look it up. You can just go look it up. It doesn't have to be orally passed down, but in generations then, it was all orally passed down. This is God. This is who God is. This is who we are, speaking to our identity, who, you know, what we're called to do, Like, where we come from, what is the problem of a man. These are questions that we all ask, and this is what's orally being passed down To God's people. Now, with that, you get people like, I don't know about that. And we have humanity, and people go and do their own thing. You get into the Tower of Babel, where people make decisions against God, trying to build something to to reach God. You get the original intent, you know, of God don't eat from the tree of uh, good and evil. Um, Don't eat from that, the knowledge of it, but eat from the tree of life. There's a different tree to eat from, but they chose that. There's a fall in humanity that we desire to go at it ourselves. And with that, humanity, does things to go against the will of God. And so what you find is the Old Testament is, okay, we've orally passed this down and humanity is making decisions to go against God, but we want to put it on paper that it is clear. Or in that time, let's put it on some sheepskin to make it clear. This this roll, this scroll that they would write it on by 500 BC, the 37 books that are represented inside of the Bible, your Bible that you have today, the 37 books that are written inside of there, um, by 500 BC, were all written on scrolls. They were already written on scrolls, written by prophets, written by um, uh, fathers of the faith, written by uh, narrative the individuals that were a part of the faith, that were you know, literary writers. They were all written to give clarity on formation, God working through his people, his love for humanity, and then the coming one that's going to ultimately restore all of humanity, okay? Okay. So that's Old Testament. By 500 A.D., they're written on there. If you rolled the scroll out, it would be 150 feet long. This scroll would be, and it would take an entire herd of whatever animal, anything other than a pig, in order to write on it, okay? So there was a lot of investment that went into it. you got to take a, the lives of an entire herd uh, of animals in order to make it happen. But by 500 A.D., the entire Old Testament was written, um, and so that's that. So the other part of that, you get the Ten Commandments that was written. God wrote that on Mount Sinai. We, see, we read that inside of Genesis where God wrote it on these tablets. He wrote it on these tablets, and Moses took it and brought it to people. These are the original Ten Commandments in which we still live by to this day that governs a more, you know, our society and societies across the world. So that's what God has done. That's Old Testament. Um, let's see here. We got that. Um, the Ten Commandments. There we go. It says God gave the Ten Commandments. Okay. Years later, the very first scriptures uh, they were known as the Pentateuch, and they also uh, they are now known as the first five books of the Bible. This includes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And for thousands of years, um, the scriptures was recorded on animal skins, and I said all that already. So you get all of this, the first books of the Bible, and these are all, all these things are written down. So you flip into the New Testament. So the Old Testament is writing on where we've come from, who we are, God's plan for humanity, God's chosen people, his love for us, our fallibility and our challenges. But there's one day in our humanity of falling away from God, there's one day a man going to come that's going to restore it all together right? So if you're a people growing up, you're going to think, man, there's going to be this man that's going to come in the future, that's going to establish our kingdom, that we can just live according to the truth of what God's word is, and we're not compromised by the dictates of man and however they want to live. And so that's why the Jewish people are waiting for this coming Messiah. And you flip over into the New Testament now. It says, by the end of the first century AD, the New Testament was completed. It was preserved in the Greek language on papyrus paper in a thin paper-like material made from the crushed And flattened stalks of a reed-like plant. Now, here's the deal on the New Testament. There's three things that attributed to the New Testament, the canon of Scripture. It's like coming together. It was uh, the first thing was this. It had to be attributed to an apostle, An apostle that was with Jesus, that walked with him, saw him, served under him. They had to be attributed to the book that was written. Right? You get the Gospels, the good news of Jesus Christ. These books had to either be written by or tied to the apostle, had to be connected to an apostle. Jesus, when he was risen again, he came to his disciples and he breathed the Holy Spirit into them, the inspiration uh, or the presence of God into them. And under the Holy Spirit, these individuals would write. That was the first criteria to enter into the New Testament. The second thing was this. The second thing uh, to, for the criteria was it had to be widely, the book had to be widely accepted by all the churches in the region. So all the churches had to agree that this text was beneficial to the body of Christ to grow them spiritually. So there's, uh, there's that. Um, it had to be, you know, everybody had to agree that, man, these books that were written by, you know, the Apostle Paul and John and uh, Luke, all these books, like it's widely accepted It's attached to an apostle, and it's widely accepted in all the churches. The third thing was this. The third thing was the book had to line up with the actual apostle's oral teaching. What they spoke when they were on earth and they were preaching, the book that was out there that was written had to line up with their oral preaching. And so you get the book of Thomas that is out there that's not included in the canon of Scripture in the New Testament because... What was in there did not represent what he orally preached. There was some discrepancies there from individuals that were like, wait, this says this, and we know what Thomas was speaking here, so it doesn't, these things don't line up, they don't match. And so what they believe is that there was a group of people that had a a Gnostic bent, this idea uh, um, that was contrary to truth, they had this leaning that created a document in the name of, but it was not actually authored by. And so you'll find that those are the three things when it came to New Testament scripture, these individuals had to have tied to the apostle or written by a scribe of an apostle, connected to, Uh, it had to have acceptance in all the churches, and it also had to have uh, the oral preaching had to match the written text. Those are the three things that make up the New Testament. So uh, in the year 367 AD, the Bishop of Alexandria, a guy by the name of uh, Atheniasius, uh, who wrote his Easter letter, in it he listed uh, the books that you read today in the New Testament. He listed all the 27 books listed in the New Testament. So then in the year 393 AD, the African Synod of Hippo approved all the books that you find listed inside of the New Testament. There's a group of people that came together. They agreed upon what these books are. You have individuals that have a different idea that are trying to bring a different truth into the living of uh, the church body. And so a group of people came together and said, hey, we got to decide what is the authoritative books that were written that's going to empower an individual to know Christ, walk according to his truth, live a life of righteousness, and it's going to empower the body of Christ in order to grow. And they decided these are the books that under those three criteria that comes together, and that happens in 393 AD. And what they decided then, based on that criteria, is what we have now, okay? There's a few other people. There's a few other um, individuals that kept certain documents in there. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church has a few of those. I think Roman II, uh, the, the, uh, the Roman Church, Vatican II, I think is what they call it. I think they removed some of those things out. But um, the, the document or what you download on your phone today is going to be 393 is what was decided at that moment in time. So by the year 500 AD, this is how it goes. This book, this is the canon of scripture. This is what happens with humanity and the issues of the human heart. Um, The Bible had been translated into over 500 uh, different languages trying to get it out so that everybody's empowered with the truth of God's word, the inspired word of God into the heart of humanity. People uh, People all over the world were so thankful because they could read God's word in their own language. But what happened is, Uh, In just the next century, the next 100 years, by the year 600 AD, the Bible was only allowed in one language. That language was Latin. Uh, It was controlled by the Catholic Church of Rome. and, And it was the only church, or it was the only, they taught their priests, and their priests were the only individuals that knew the Latin language or could read the Latin language. So what they did is it was distributed all over the world, all these languages, and the Catholic Church said, we don't like that all people have access to the scripture and knowing it for themselves and could do whatever. Let's get some control and we're going to bring it back in. And the only Bible that can, you can have is written in Latin. And the only people that could have it is priest. And so what they did is anybody that had any translation of the Bible could be killed on the spot. Literally could be killed on the spot. If you had any translation of the Bible outside of, uh, or if you had any translation of the Bible, you could be killed on the spot. So it goes on to say, or I'll go on to say, if anyone found the Bible in languages besides Latin, that person uh, holding the Bible could be executed on the spot. You may be wondering, why did this happen? Well, unfortunately, the Catholic Church became very corrupt. The priests were uh, the only one educated in the Latin language. It was so common uh, that the person could never read God's word. That was the intent. Well, that gave the priests ultimate power. They could teach what parts of the Bible they wanted to, And they could even throw in some things that weren't in the Bible at all. It was very common. So here's a few things that came out. Um, You get this thing called purgatory that comes out that's not in the Bible. But it's a concept that was taught that you have a relative that could be living in purgatory. Now, I'm not speaking against the Catholic Church right now. If anybody in here, you're from the Catholic background, I get it. We live in San Antonio, historically Catholic. But here's the reality. The Catholic priest would preach what they wanted or the Catholic church just in general would preach what they wanted or not. And they, the concept was created a purgatory that your relatives could live in a space between heaven or between earth and heaven that until you pay a certain amount of money would not release their spirit into heaven. Well, the Roman church raised a lot of money by doing that. I'll just throw it out there. There's a lot of churches all over the world that are very beautiful. You go to all these countries all over the world. They're very beautiful. It was, it was from the fundraising of people in a lot of different ways to build these churches. So God can use anything and everything, and praise God, we trust God in all of this, that he's building his church. But some of these corrupt things happened inside of the advancement of the church around the globe um, at the hands of people who controlled the power at that moment in time, okay? So this is just the reality of what we live in. Now, you may be wondering, how did the church break free from this long-season Uh, of dark and horrible corruption. What they believe at this moment in time, it looks back, we look back in history, it's known as the Dark Ages. It's where humanity slipped into a moral funk and corruption and darkness entered into our world that we look at as the Dark Ages in history. So how do we break free from this funk? Well, there's a few people that love God's word and said, you know what? Uh, They're misusing it. So what we're gonna do is know what the truth is. And there's a man named uh, Columba, Columbo was a guy who started a secret Bible society or a Bible school, however you want to look at it, where you could faithfully teach God's word. And this group of people became the remnant on earth where God's word was taught faithfully for centuries after centuries. To be specific, they were called the Colby's and they did this for 700 years where they taught the Bible faithfully. They said, we're going to be the remnant. We're uncompromised. We know what the God's word says. There's a whole group of people that is living according to Different ideas that aren't necessarily biblical, but we're going to be an, a group of people that are the remnant, that love God, trust God, and we're going to serve him faithfully. So he, he raised up a generation, 700 years. You fast forward to a point in time where one of these disciples would come out of that in the late, th- late 1300s, a guy by the name of John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was a man with, uh, that did tremendous things. In fact, he was the man that for months, 10 months, translated the Bible into English. He took 10 months to translate the Bible. The 70 hours, if you read it front to back, he was an individual that said, I'm going to write it. And it took him 10 months. When he did this, all of a sudden, all these people who were before couldn't read scripture were now able to do so. And at this time, some say that is when um, the, the actual reformation, he was the morning star of the reformation that we read about inside of history. But here's the deal. He was hated so much by the Pope at that moment in time that even after his death, the Pope, who did not want people to have the written Bible in their hands, ordered that his bones would be dug up. It was like 49 years after he was dead. And they would be spread across, uh, across this river. Because he hated him so much. But here's the deal. Every person in each generation has a purpose. And sometimes we lose sight of what we are a part of. We are a mist and a vapor, as John four fourteen says. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. But if we live according to truth, not our truth, the truth, we are, we are an impact in a generation. And Wycliffe was an impact in a generation because he had a disciple, another man named, another man named John Huss. And Huss was equally passionate about God's word. Uh, God's word. And as many, uh, yeah. So, well, he wanted to get God's word in as many hands as possible, just like his... His uh, apostle, or his his person discipling him, John Wycliffe, but unfortunately Huss too was called a heretic. It was actually burned at the stake. And you know how he's burned by taking the books that Wycliffe translated and starting the fire that would ultimately burn his body. But he's a man that was convicted. You know, he's a man that was uh, convinced of the, God's word being uh, spread throughout the earth, and so he kept on pressing on, and eventually the word of God would be. Uh, translated, it would be put into the hands uh, of individuals and it eventually get into the hands of a man named Martin Luther that would read God's word and realize the heresy that was a part of the Roman Catholic Church at that moment in time. If you want to do more research, go look at these guys' names. You'll see history on these guys literally passionate about God's word, empowering people with it. But Martin Luther would ultimately go on to read the Bible for himself come up with 95 different things that the Roman Catholic Church was, was living and saying and doing that was not biblical. He would take this 95 thesis. You can look it up like that online, 95 thesis. He would take these 95 things and he would, he would nail it upon the church, the church uh, a Roman Catholic church inside of Guttensburg. And, or sorry, he would, he would do that in Wittenberg uh, Church post that. And this is what they believe is the first time that the Reformation, that this shot was heard across the world, that change was coming and the Reformation was happening. We were reforming church. We were reforming what it means to follow Christ. And uh, this shot was felt across the world, world that changed what we live in here today, known as multiple different denominations that come out of this. Uh, you get the split um, in here, Roman Catholic. You get Orthodox Catholic. Then you get into denominations that have flowed off from here, whether it's Presbyterian or uh, Methodist or Lutheran, you get the imbe- imbe- evangelical sect that's come out in early 1900s. These are all pieces that have flowed out, but it started in this Reformation where we're going to live according to God's word, what the truth of it is to the best of our ability, and we're going we're to do this thing. So that is the reality and kind of how the wor- word of God is now in your hands here today. There's a vetting process that has come to it. I'll talk about that in just a second. But the canon of Scripture has gone through a process to say this is God's heart. This is, how it's, this is what's going to come together. This is who you are. This is who God's people are. Okay, cool. Here's the apostles. We saw Jesus. We saw him live. Cool. Now, here's the beauty. Jesus, when it comes to the full canon of Scripture, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to do away with the Old Testament Scripture. It has no relevance. He actually did some Jesus crossovers. I call them the Jesus crossovers, okay? You want to see what it looks like? This is the Jesus crossovers right here. Bam, 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 right there. <laughs> That's a Jesus crossover right there. He's like, you thought you had me? Okay, I got you, baby, all right? It's Jesus' crossovers. Jesus goes from one to the other. Jesus is looking, I'm living in the presence of what will be known as the New Testament, but I'm going to look back into the Old Testament, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to do away with it. I'm here to fulfill it. It's very easy to be like, oh, we under grace. we under the New Testament. I mean, that's like, that's Old Testament, right? And, and maybe some of the behaviors that flowed out of it, right? Uh, are, but man, the word of God is yea and amen, right? It, not, not one piece of it is going to do away, is going to be done with um, Jesus' has come to fulfill it. And so you get the Jesus crossovers. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on Sabbath, or he went to church on Sabbath, just like today, and he stood up to read the scripture as they normally would do. They would read a set of scriptures and they would talk about it. The scroll specifically on this day was uh, of Isaiah uh, the prophet, and it was handed to him, and he rolled the scroll and found a place where, he, uh, where this was written. He says this, Jesus stood up, grabs the scroll, unrolls it, and he reads this specific scripture. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He's anointing anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus stands up, grabs an Old Testament writing, reads it. Isaiah speaking on a future man that's coming. He stands up in a present New Testament time and says, yo, what was said then is speaking right here now. I'm here now. He does a crossover, okay? This is the beauty of the canon of scripture. When it all comes together, you can't take this or that. You got to take it all. It's all brought together for the purpose of empowering and strengthening. us, giving us clarity. I'm going to talk about that. I'm getting ahead of it. So he does a crossover. There's another time in John, uh, Luke chapter 24, it says this in verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets, uh, so hard to, to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? So written then in the Old Testament, on what the Messiah, the Savior, one that's going to establish the kingdom here on earth, um, going on to say that, oh, I was flipping down. Uh, wasn't it predicted? You've got to understand that these things are predicted. Verse 27, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all of the prophet, prophets. What was he explaining? Explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Old Testament, all these, the canon of scripture in the Old Testament, let me just, he walked them all the way through it on, remember when it says this, remember when it says that, it was speaking about me. I, I got to suffer. It, it was said that the lamb is going to be led to the slaughter. Guess what? I'm going to be led to the slaughter, okay? Like, he walks them all the way through. So Jesus isn't doing away with, so as I said on the front of this, Matthew 5, Jesus speaking, he said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. That's why I'm here. I'm accomplishing their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do, do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So there's power in knowing what God's word says. Those that know it and teach it, those that encourage it and strengthen people with you know God's word, We're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. But, man, those that teach against it, Woo! no, 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 no. So here's the deal. I was talking to a young guy this past week, Tristan. He's right here on the front row. And we were talking, and he asked a question. I told him, come in with questions, because I'm not going to just sit there and, like, try to roll off the top of my head. He wants to be a pastor someday. I tell him all the time, don't do it. But people still want to do it. It's crazy. (laughs) Being a pastor is much harder than I think anything else inside of this world. You're laying down your life for the sake of uh, the one that has laid down his life for you. You're not here for earthly glory. You're not here for earthly wealth, earthly riches. You are here simply to build the kingdom of which your reward, our reward, sits in heaven, right? And there's so much pain. These lights, people see the lights and like, oh man, it must be awesome to be a pastor. It's not, okay? It comes with a lot of pain. It's awesome to see people go across the line of faith when you're fighting for them, you're believing, you're preaching your heart out, you're trying to help people move forward inside of their life, whether the jacked up, tore up from the floor, messed up, have a formation of chaos, and man, living according to worldly principles and ideas, and all of a sudden, the reality of their lack comes to, a, to fruition, and it's like, man, there's a better way, and his name is Jesus Christ. And God, man, there's, That's beauty in that, right? So I try to tell people, don't do it. That's what I say, don't do it, unless you can do nothing else. So with that, Uh, He asked, so what is it on scripture? Like, how do you keep it fresh so it doesn't become a phone book? So I just begin to articulate. And I would articulate it this way with us inside of here. The word of God, I mean, people have laid down their life for it. It is of immense value. In it has so much clarity and and direction and like who God is and what we are and where we come from. And why do we struggle so much? And what is the pain of humanity? And if we look outside of our world and our, our myopic perspective on just our life and God, me, me, me. And we start looking at the big picture of, man, this is thousands and thousands of years, generations and generations that are living upon the face of the earth. And each generation is called to live obediently towards God, that the next generation will not be compromising the truth of it. Yeah. We're living bigger than, than ourselves at this moment time of my feelings, my flesh, and how I feel. It's bigger. Generations will be impacted by what we do and how we live. Yeah, right. It's bigger than just us, right? We get outside of that framework. We find ourselves in a place where we understand the immense value that is represented inside of God's word. So if I asked you today, if you could spend five minutes with anybody upon the face of the earth, you got five minutes with them, who would that person be? Maybe it is a person of of extreme wealth, a Warren Buffett guy. You're like, yeah, right? Robert Kiyosaki or whatever, I think it's like Um, Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad. I'm going to spend some time with him because he's got some strategies, some ideas. Maybe there's somebody you appreciate in their ability, man. They can jump higher than anybody and dunk a ball, LeBron James, whatever it may be. Okay, whatever. OGs, Michael Jordan, the real yeah. OG, okay? Yeah. Michael Jordan, whatever it may be. And you just spend five minutes with them. Say tomorrow at 12 o'clock, you're going to spend five minutes with the person that you want to, that's still living, not somebody that's dead, obviously living. You would be stoked out of your mind. I can't wait to get there. i got, got questions I'm going to ask them. Blah, blah, you would be so stoked. You get there, have this time. And at the end of it, they say, cool, five minutes is up. Here's the deal. I'm gonna meet, I want to meet with you tomorrow, the exact same time. I'd love to spend more time with you. And you're like, oh, my I'm legit. This guy loves me, okay? This person loves me. <laughs> I'm pretty sweet, you know? You show up the next day, you're stoked out of your mind. Oh, my God, this is incredible. <laughs> you're enjoying like, oh. What happens? At the end of it, he's like, hey, are they, they're like, at the end of it, hey, same time tomorrow. Love to see you. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, really? We could be becoming BFFs now, you know what I mean? You're like, we BFFs. And and you find yourself after three days stoked out of your mind, and then a month, you're like, okay, this is cool. After a year, you're like, do I, do I have to? I mean, I, I mean, we cool, you know. Do I have to show up tomorrow? Like, because I got other things I could do now. What happens over time? We lose perspective on the value of the individual. They don't lose perspective. They still find value in us. They still want to meet with us. They're like, hey, tomorrow, same time. You're like... Uh, Do we have to? You're like, do I have to? Or are you like, is this a suggestion? Nothing changes on the other side. Everything changes with us. We lose value in the importance of the time we spend. The same thing would be true with God's word. If we see it as valuable, that is our time with our creator, we are stoked out of our mind to get to it five minutes, five hours, whatever it may be, we're, we're, time, we're spending time with our creator, the one that breathes life into us, the one that is speaking truth into our heart. Man, there's so much in it. I mean, Jesus said, I, my will comes from doing, you know, my, my, my food comes from doing the will of the Father, man. Yeah. Man, the bread, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Like, oh, I got to spend time with my Father. The importance is he loves me and he values me. I got to have the perspective that I love him and I value him. How do I do that? I get into... His word, and I understand it, and I, and I put it in, I'm eating on it. It's like, good, it is healthy, it's, it it's going to speak to my soul, and I, I haven't lost value on it. But what is it in our humanity that we do lose value on it? There's other things more important than it. What can be more important than it? And you probably can answer some questions today because we're living lives where we don't get into God's word, but we definitely are doing things with our time. I'm not going to get into any statements on any of what you're doing with your time. But if it's not time with God, maybe you've lost value on what it is. Yeah. Get into it, right? Jesus comes alive. The word comes alive. We come alive. The dark ages happened simply because there was a separation between the truth of God's word, the light of the world, the truth and humanity, and we slipped into a dark age. If you don't want to slip into darkness, find yourself wrapped up in the value of time with your creator through his word. It'll light your life up. It'll change your life. You'll live completely different. The second thing, the Bible passes the vet test. The vet test is this. There's an internal test, there's an external test, and there's a bibliographical test. Bibliographical test, uh, just going through them, we have documents today that in 393, a group of people said this is what makes up scripture. Scripture. This is all of it right here. This is what all churches, all people are going to live upon. This is how we came to it. It's passed through the time. And here we are today living in the space where we get the scripture. Now there's people on this side that say, well, let's test the scripture then. If these people, you know, thousand plus years ago said that this is the scripture, well, then let's look at its accuracy. Let's look at, let's vet it through three different ways. One way is They vetted it from an internal test. Do the people that wrote the scripture, put pen to paper, do they really believe what they said? Do they believe it as a truth on what they said? You can clearly see inside of the New Testament, these individuals gave their life for it. Everybody except for one literally are martyrs. You can read in history, they are martyrs because what they wrote, they stood by and said, we will not deny its truth. Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the one that is saving humanity. We saw him with our own eyes. We will not denounce that. And so what they write, pen and paper, put it down. They believe what they said. In other books and stuff that's written, they believed what they were saying to be true. The external test is um, from the outside looking in, do people from the outside validate its truth? There's a lot of historical documents outside of biblical documents on philosophers and theologians from that era that speak to the validity of what is written inside of the word. So completely non-believers would stand outside and say, what, it, what they wrote down is what they believed. Not what I believe, but what they believed. One specific instance is, uh, I think it was Clement that wrote on, or uh, Josephus wrote on, he wrote on a group of people that lived at that moment in time that believed that there really was Jesus, a man, that died and rose again. He states it in his writings that there's a group of people that believe that Jesus did die and raise to life. That is the belief in which they live by. Like, there's a group of people that are doing it, and I don't necessarily believe it, but they believe it. So there's an external test on the writings within are exactly accurate to the intent of what the writer wrote from outside individuals, Okay. The third one is the bibliographical. The bibliographical is we got text today, but we also got ancient documents from then. How well has the translation happened between the ancient documents and the modern text? So one specific instance would be this New Testament. Under oppression, there's a group of people that ran out with what is known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they they put them in caves. All the ancient documents of the New Testament uh, and Old Testament, I think there's a few of the Old Testament, they put them in this cave they were locked away for 1,000-plus years. Right? They found them, I think, in 1857. So from the time of AD 70 to 1857, these documents set in this cave known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. But the scripture has passed through generations and have been written and reproduced and everything, and then we get the Holy Scripture. They took what the Bible is today with those ancient documents and said, how accurate is the translations between them? And what they found it to be is insanely accurate, like almost to a T. It's accurate, like what was written so long ago to even the translation to the modern text. It's incredible, incredibly accurate. So what we find is Scripture, and even you find archaeologists, archaeologists today when they're looking for things around in history. Uh, that's you know when they're trying to find certain places and uh, ancient people or whatever they go to the Bible because they understand it to be the most accurate historical document upon the face of the earth. They're trying to find historical stuff. They go to the scriptures. So the bibliographical test, it passes the bibliographical test. So those are the three things in modern criticism, the Bible, the word in which we live upon passes those three tests. Cool? So we're standing on good ground. That's all I'm trying to say, right? It's a long process to get us here on all the books and what it is here today. People had to fight for the reality of what it is. Even modern critics here today with intellectual, you know, accurateness, uh, being accurate with it and honest with it, you're going to find that it is, it is immensely um, reliable. Um, it's been vetted by a lot of different people, and they found it to be true. But here's the deal. All of these scriptures has a purpose and has an intent. The last thing I'll leave you with is the Bible has a purpose and an intent. We sit here today, and we can say, what about this? What about that? I don't know, blah, blah, And as I said, every person is going to walk through the journey to figure out who am I, why am I, and what am I here to do? When you're a teenager, you're like, wild out, yolo, going to do what I do, how I want to do it. You go off to college. You live La Vida Loca. You make decisions. You have experiences. But here's the deal. Once you come back to God's word, it's all written in there already to each they go their own way, right? Right. Each goes their own way. Prodigal son story, I'm going my own way, but I realize chaos, la vida loca, I'm trying to get back to my father's house, right? The most, most amazing story ever, right? It's talked about all the time. And we experience this in humanity that we will have different experiences in different seasons of life. And we, we may find ourselves where we grow up in, in formation of a home. And I'll tell you just as parents, I will tell you, your responsibility is to form the principles of God in your children, not your school, because they're going to form something crazy inside of your kids. Our responsibility to teach and train a child when they are young, so they are older, they will not depart from it. It's our responsibility, not anybody else's responsibility. (laughs) Teaching truth. And then we get them to 18 years old and say, man, we formed a good doctrine on the inside of you, a good theology on the inside of you. Go and figure this thing out because you're going to experience life and the enemy's going to be at you. You're going to knock your head upside the wall and you're going to find yourself lost and hurting and broken. But we serve a God that is chasing down every single one of his children. And so with that, we have a place and a space where we can be skeptics. We, we, we would be on the journey. We would be one day be like, God is on top of, <laughs> on, on my heart. He sits on the throne of my heart. But why did this happen? Yeah. We have moments where it's like, like Paul relates, like we're seeking and searching. We are feeling ourselves towards God because we face life in its funkiness. Why did this happen when I was younger? Why did I have to go through that? Why did I have to face that? Why did that person walk out on me? Why did that person do, to, do this to me? God, why would you allow that? And we could all find it in God's word Amen. that we live in a sinful, broken world and people do bad things to good people because there's evil at work in the lives of humanity. We can't get away from it. So today you may be a skeptic in this place saying, I don't know. Maybe you asked the question on the validity of the Bible and the canon of scripture. You're living upon a truth. Somebody is living. You're living upon a truth. You cannot get around the reality. You make decisions today based upon some belief system. You do. But when it comes to a follower of Jesus Christ, we come to this place to say, we realize that there's a truth out there, but we want to live according to the truth. Because we want to honor our creators. I said two weeks ago, living with purity inside of our hearts, we're trying to honor God with our lives. We're not just here wiling out. As I said earlier, if a generation does not heed the big picture on what this thing is all about, then we will live according to the dictates of our flesh, which is momentary. And one generation living according to the flesh can completely corrupt the next. The Bible would tell us that one generation does in moderation, the next will do in excess. And today if we don't think bigger than me myself and I and don't get ourselves from a place on like man this story's been written for thousands of years I'm just a part of it. And I got a responsibility as I didn't get to choose life God chose me. Yeah. I didn't breathe life into my lungs God breathed it in me. Yeah. And with that I'm trying to get back to my creator. Yeah. And this story is giving us clarity on what that is. <laughs> the whole thing is giving us clarity on man is broken. Man is sinful. Right. This is not a war against flesh and blood, but against principalities of the unseen world. There's something bigger that is at play than just you, yourself, and you. It's the story of God loving creation and dying for all of humanity, that we you know, going our own way, but there's a restorative, loving God that says, don't do it. It's broken, come to me. I got better things for you. Come to my son, receive forgiveness. You've fallen short, you've missed the mark. You're sinning, you're living a selfish life, but you're not living according to my truth. I've written it in my word. Look outside of the 10 commandments. Look according to the truth of Jesus Christ's life. You are living a life full of yourself. But I got a plan and my plan is Jesus. My son is gonna come and he's gonna die for you. There's something bigger. There's something more. It's not just here. You're here today, gone tomorrow. It's not just here. You get the big house and the nice car, and then you die. It's, man, we get Jesus. We get an opportunity to restore restore people back unto their Savior. Once we know him, we get to help people know the Savior of the world. We get to preach the good news, this new new way of living. It's a responsibility we all have that's written in his word, but we know his word, and we're doing it. It's bigger. It's bigger. So he gives us clarity on all that. That's the word. It gives us clarity. There's something bigger at play than just us, me, myself, and I, my little car, my little world, my little children, my little whatever, my little pony, whatever it is. There's <laughs> something bigger, but it also gives us direction. Yeah. There's clarity on like this is what it is, but then there's direction on this is how you should live. And I'll just read one scripture in here, and I could read a couple, but it says this in Second Timothy, verse three or chapter three, verse fifteen. It says, "You have been taught." the Holy Scripture from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive salvation that comes from trusting Christ. You've read the Scripture. It's talking about my son, Jesus Christ. You know how to find salvation. It's in him. Verse 16, he says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. What is true in a world where we are grappling for truth, the Scripture is here to clarify truth and direct us in righteousness. If you feel your heart all messed up, I'm like, I don't know what truth is, is what I'm doing right? We'll jump into God's word. All right, keep on showing up to church, we gonna give you the truth here, I'll tell you that. We're not a woke church, okay? We ain't, we're not woke on what culture says, we're clear on what the Bible says. That's what our intent is here. And that's not to be, I'm not being offensive with that. I'm just distilling, like we are clear that this is the authoritative work that God has for humanity on how we should live. And even when it hurts me, I don't like that. My, my flesh will say, I don't like it, but my spirit will say, get your flesh in alignment with it. Because it's God's expectation. The world will say, do as you please. God's word says, do as I say. Now, that's, you can be like, no. We, we make, for people we love, we make sacrifices. Yeah, no doubt about it. Right, right. For the people we love, we make sacrifices. Well, I used to do this, but now, you know, you know we got married. <laughs> we make changes for the ones we love. And we fall in love with our creator. Man, we fully align. We, we try to come full alignment with his expectations. Because we love him and he loves us. So it teaches us truth and it makes us realize what is wrong inside of our lives this is why we are a church of grace and truth grace and truth that's why we can say God loves you, he's for you, he's with you you're broken, you're living in chaos but here's the deal, God loves you with that love man, you're going to expose some things on the inside you may be the most greedy person, most angry person most unforgiving person, the most vengeful person you could be that you could be living a life of, of completely in the wrong direction in your relationships, how you're living, and, and, and trying to pursue happiness with another individual. It could be all messed up as far as the direction and the leanings of your desires. It could be in, in a complete opposite direction of what God's intent is. And you can walk through these doors and you're going to find love. But here's the deal you're going to be challenged. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you preach God's word, it's going to bring truth in, and there's going to be conviction. We want conviction, right? If not, we're Jesus. Right? And if we're not, then we're perfect. We're good. But with it, the truth comes in. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Why am I so funky? And it leads us. That's what the word of God says. It leads us. It's inspired by God. It's teaching us truth, but man, it's exposing us. It's teaching us what is right. And what does it say? God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's what God's doing with it. He's using it at all to equip his people for the good things he's called us to do. Being in church, hearing God's word, having clarity, knowing what God's direction is, what, what the expectations are, empowers us and strengthens us. But I'll tell you today, we can stand firm upon his word, knowing we are on solid ground on what truth is. As Jesus says, if you can take my teachings and build your life on it, you can withstand all the trials that life comes. Well, anything you'll face, Right, There's many people in our church community here today that have faced really challenging things. They didn't back down, they didn't walk away. Natalie's right here. Roger has passed away inside of our church from COVID. Where's Natalie, she's not out there wiling out. She hasn't walked away from the truth. Her and Mateo are showing up every single week and they're serving inside of this church. But woe is you. She ain't lost her face in the middle of it. Brittany inside of our church lost her husband in a motorcycle accident almost uh, just over a year ago now. She came into this church broken, but she's been loved and cared for by our church because there's a love of Jesus Christ that's at work inside of her life that wants to help people on the journey that even when bad things happen to good people, there still is a good God that loves them and has an incredible plan for them. God is at work. Because we live according to the truth and that's what God's word says. Not what man says because man will say something completely different. God's word says he is a good and gracious and loving God and we stand firm upon it. So you may be a skeptic today. That's fine. You can be a skeptic. You can be on the journey as a skeptic. We're not asking or forcing you over and nor is God forcing you over the line of faith. God's not trying to force you over the line of faith. God is gracefully loving you into, compelling you into. John 6, it is only God, right? He's compelling us into giving our lives to Jesus Christ. It is is God that is doing that. Word says, man, you draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. Be a skeptic, but keep keep your life focused on God. Like, don't live here and be like, I'm just going to wild out and do whatever I want. You may be wilding out and doing whatever you want from bad behavior, but don't set your direction to be, I'm going to live a life of chaos. I'm going to fo- focus on doing the worst things possible. My parents were this, my parents were that. I'm going to live La Vida Loca. I'm going to go down this dark road. I'll tell you today, there are people that have made that decision to go down a dark road and it's ended horribly. Yes. I got friends I could tell you about that are six feet under right now because they made that decision. I got friends that are in prison today because they made that decision right there. Grew up in a Christian home, knowing what the biblical truth is said, but I'm gonna reject it, deny it, and I'm gonna walk away and do the exact opposite. But the wages of sin is death. It's definitely spiritual death, and sometimes it is physical. You wanna find yourselves in a place where it's like, ah, I'm saying, turn towards God. Move in that direction. Search for him on the journey. You're gonna mess up, you're gonna fail, you're a skeptic, whatever. You're gonna do things that are gonna hurt the heart of God and maybe even hurt the church. But there's a God that is redeeming. He's a loving God that can can take even your worst things you've ever done. And he can use them for your good and he can use it to help others around you too. It's the power of a testimony. I'm not saying you need to make a better testimony. That's all I'm saying, okay? Okay. Don't even be like, okay, I need to really improve my testimony. No, don't improve your testimony. Let the testimony be right now in Jesus' name, man, right? Come on, come on. Let, it, this, let this be the day to say, okay, cool. I've been running, I've been searching, but today maybe it's solidified for you. Ah, this is truth. I'm hearing it, speaking to my spirit. This is truth. I know what truth is, man. I, man, I, I mean, this, this is right. I know this is right. The way I would say it is this. Any, any, any God that can be fully understood, I don't know if that's a God that I would want to follow. Any God that could like, I could fully understand intellectually all that he is, uh, my, my, my mortality, my, 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 my understanding, I don't know that that's a God that I would want to serve. There's beauty in the mystery of. Faith is I believe. I believe from experience. I believe from from moments. I believe from looking at life. I I mean, I see that there's gotta be an intelligent design. I, I see that there's gotta be something bigger. All this stuff doesn't just happen. And with that, I believe that there has to be a creator from what I've seen and what I've felt. There's got to be something bigger. So if you're in the pursuit you're on this journey, God is chasing you down. You're drawing near to him, he's drawing near to you. I would just say this, don't be so prideful that as you're on the search for truth, you completely just do away or reason away the hand of God that's at work. When the miraculous thing happens, attribute it to a miraculous God that's bigger than you. Don't just say, oh, it's coincidence, you know. Don't get caught in cultural language that'll say, karma, karma. (laughs) No, that's the hand of God that's at work chasing us down because he intimately wants to know us uniquely, individually, saved by grace, son of God laid down for our lives that our sin would not separate us from our heavenly father and the, the grand story would be found inside of our lives that we have met our creator and we are walking in relationship with him. Don't negate the hand of God that is at work. He is, he is at work. The world will tell you he is not. And they'll come up with all types of language to excuse it. But our word says he is, he's chasing you down. He loves you, he loves us. He wants relationship with us. So go hard in the pain. Trust God, he is with you, he's working for you. He's on your behalf. Maybe today you are that person that has run down a journey and you have experienced La Vida Loca and today you've walked through this place with all types of pain and experiences, struggles and pain, you know, struggles and, and, and bad outcomes but you've walked into a place where we believe that all of that is a life of your flesh led by the prince of darkness that has lied to you to believe that that life would be better than a life in Christ What we believe today is that the wages of sin is death. It is a spiritual death. You lose relationship with God when you don't meet those expectations. Same thing would be inside of your home. When your children live outside of the expectations, chaos ensues inside of the home. Same thing would be in your life when you live outside of the expectations of God, chaos ensues inside of your life. You're living outside of the will of God. And with that, that's why Jesus came. The grand story, the grand narrative, the fall of man, Spoken one Jesus Christ that would come a life that literally did come and live He claimed that he was the Savior and the Messiah of the world. He claimed it It wasn't by chance. It wasn't a story made up. He claimed I am the way the truth and the life No one gets to the father except through me. He made the claimant statement So if we take the authoritative scripture and say it is true Then we stand firm upon what Jesus said. He is the Savior Messiah, which means that the only way we get to the father is through the cross it was a tree that led us into chaos when Adam and Eve ate it. But it's a different tree that leads us into life. That is the cross. That's right, that's right. And today, through the blood of Jesus Christ, his life was given for us. So that we can see life. We receive life. God sees us in our worst moments. That's why he gave Jesus to us most vulnerable he's seen us and so today if you want to move from death to life you want to move from the chaos of a life away from God into the start of a journey with God that can bring order and peace it comes through a man named Jesus Christ how do we do this we lay down our lives our will our ideas and say God you got a plan I just got to get my life in alignment with that plan and I want to follow Jesus Christ and how I should live but it starts by admitting that you failed. That may be the most humbling thing we have to do because, man, who likes to say, I messed up. I made the wrong decision. That's hard to do. But we can do it today under conviction that we want something better. We can do it today by a Heavenly Father meeting us here today saying, we want that better, right? We've lived it. And so if you're here today with all heads up and your eyes wide open, if you acknowledge God here on earth, you will acknowledge you in heaven. It's a private moment between you and God, but it's a public moment in this place to say, I am making a statement today, that I'm walking away from that and I'm walking into this. I'm walking away from a life of this and I'm walking into a life of this. And I will follow Jesus Christ. And you admit that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus is the son of God. You ask him into your heart you receive a new life. Your old man is gone and a new has come. You take on your new man, your new self, a new person in Christ, and with that, you follow Jesus. Not that you're perfect, but your best intent, you're going after God. So all eyes open, all heads up, you're looking at me right here. Private moment between you and God, public moment with everybody in this church.
1: If you wanna move beyond
0: your sin and your life, going your own way, and you want to move into a place of relationship with your creator
1: through the cross,
0: meeting Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus and take this step. Amen, amen, amen. Let's have our hands throughout the room. Amen. Let's give it up for everybody. Amen. Here's the deal. We are a church after the unchurch people that are disconnected from God. It's a big decision. This is the greatest miracle that happens on the face of the earth when somebody says, I'm going to go from me to we. I'm going with God. I'm not just going at it alone. I'm me, and, me, and, me and Jesus are going to do this thing. It's the greatest miracle upon the face of the earth, going, laying down life and walking in faith. It's the greatest miracle. So let's all just say it together. Say, Jesus, Jesus. we thank you for your life you. and what you lived for us. We admit we are sinners. We've fallen short of our heavenly father's expectation. But you have paid the price of our sin. You've set us free here today. Come into our heart. Change our lives. Make us new today. New desires, new thoughts, new longings, and a new direction. We're going to live our lives for you, Jesus. From this day forward, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Inside of the house. Amen. Amen!